obviously is, is a different type of night. To have Girls of Grace and Man School together is unique. We've not done that. Uh, the room is set up in a way that's never been set up for for us. So the teens came in and were like a little confused about that. But uh, this was Mr. Ray as his layout, and I like it. You get a lot of people in, in a small area. Um, so really kind of bare bones tonight. You know, we're not we're not going to do a game. Um, we're not going to have a time of kind of breaking up afterwards, so there, there will be a time of questions uh, that at least I'll, I'll throw out to you at the end. Tonight really is like one of those kind of burden message nights to where I uh, just want to share some big picture thoughts on relationships and marriage. Um, what I said at the big meeting on Saturday was uh, narrow enough to be helpful, not too narrow to not be helpful. So that's, that's kind of been my goal as I've been praying, as I've been looking at God's Word, as I've been talking to CB and John. Just I, I want to be able to help you as parents and as teens. Um, this is going to be, my hope, is that this is going to be a ongoing discussion. Tonight is not the exhaustive message on relationships and marriage. We want teens to start a conversation. Hopefully you've had these conversations with your parents, but but if not, uh, starting these type of conversations about marriage or having ongoing conversations about uh, a a God-honoring, biblically uh, wise view of of relationships and marriage uh, to where we don't feel like we have to say everything all at once. So, like I said, there'll be a time for questions, but... If you're like Mrs. Ross, if you're a processor, if it takes you a couple days and a couple days down the road, you know what? I've got some questions about, you know, about that. You know, going to your parents first and foremost. Um, but you know, if you'd want to talk to me, we could, we could set that up as well. Uh, tonight is not a one size fits all. Uh, tonight is about looking at God's word and asking, what does it look like for me under the authority of my parents to walk this out? Uh, so I think that we have this culture in this group, uh, but this isn't a looking at one family and, okay, this is how they do it, so that means that's how I have to do it, or for you as teens to see a way, a fa- you know, way one family does it, and for you to say to your parents, okay, they're doing it that way, that means we have to do it that way. No, it, you're called, like it is with everything in the Christian life, to go to God and say, what does it look like for me to follow Christ here? And, th- and that could look different from family to family. Um, I'm going to talk about it briefly towards the end, but I think as teens, trusting God that he has sovereignly given you the parents he's given you. So the temptation could be to look at a parent over here or over here and say, well, you know, they're doing it that way. That's the way I want my parents to do it. And your parents might, after prayer and counsel, say, no, that's that's not how we're going to do it. And so for you, I think, teens, to be humble and to say, you know what, God has given me the parents he's given me. And I want to entrust myself to them. And, and I think it goes without saying. I, I don't, there's no one I'm thinking about in this area, but we also don't want to be kind of dating police. We don't want to be kind of on the lookout of, all right, Ben gave the message on this, now we see who's doing it, right? We, we, it would just, you know, I think one of the things CB said was, what if a, um, a young man or young woman came into Christ Community Church not saved, doing all of this in a not-biblical way. Would we want to care for them? Would we want to help them? Would we want to cast vision and time? Of course. But if that teen came in, would they feel uh, comfortable around us? Would they feel from us that the gospel's the main thing? And when we recognize if they're not saved, they're not going to be living in a God-honoring way. So I think there's just kind of good categories for us to think about of one to another. How do we lovingly care for one to another uh, on topics like this? And and, may, and we pray for this, that as time goes on, more and more unbelievers would come into Christ's community and hear the gospel and be saved by the gospel and then for you know all the things that follow to come in its wake instead of wanting there to be certain things on the front end that just aren't going to be there when they're not saved so um let's let's start by praying and asking god to lead us and god to give us wisdom tonight Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to come together, to look at your word, Lord. I pray, would you use me tonight in these teens' life? Would you use me uh, to encourage the teens and cast vision to the teens and encourage the parents, Lord, as they seek to care well for their teens? Lord, um, 
I pray that Your Word would be central tonight. That, that Your Word would speak loudest tonight, Lord. And, and we pray for these teens, Lord. For many of them, You are going to call them to marriage. And we pray, Lord, that they would walk through that season, that they would, when they think about marriage, that they would really just be following you, that it would be another area to submit to your lordship. And Lord, I pray for those who you call to marriage, that the gift of marriage, Lord, that, that you would bring spouses that love Jesus and love your word and love the church, Lord, that their spouses would build them up in you, Lord. And, and for those who are given the gift of singleness, either for the rest of their life or for a, a prolonged season, Lord, I pray by your grace they would see that as a gift. Lord, not as a, a secondary blessing, as a primary blessing, that the opportunity to serve you and live for your kingdom as a single person, Lord, what value there is there. And so we just pray that you would encourage our hearts tonight as we talk about these things. We pray for it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, teens, if you have your journals, I want you to open those up. I want you to highlight just some of the passages we're talking about tonight, maybe questions that stick out to you. Uh, one of the things I've learned over the years in serving teens is that now is the, is the time to start preparing for what's coming next. Now is the time to start preparing for what's next. Now is the time to start preparing for your life beyond the teen years. You might be thinking, you know, Mr. Ross, I'm just trying to survive my teen years right now. I, I can't think much more beyond that. But I'm telling you, you're going to be 20, 21, 22, 23, 24 in a blink of an eye. And you preparing for that now is wise. It's like taking a vacation. Um, for the sake of the illustration... Uh, say you're going on a vacation to Ocean City, New Jersey, uh, and, and you don't do any planning for it. You, you, you don't prepare. You, you didn't pack anything. You just, yeah, that's, that's coming up. That's coming up. I know. I know. We're going on vacation. We're going on vacation. I got, I got other things to do. And then all of a sudden, waking up and your parents saying, today's the day. Let's go. Let's go. Get your stuff. This car is pulling out of the driveway in 10 minutes. You ever have your parents say that? This car's leaving in 10 minutes, whether you're in it or not. The car is pulling out, and I haven't done any preparing for this vacation. Th think about what you would be in a, in a uh, your house would be in a, in a free-for-all, in a, in a place of chaos. You'd be running around looking for your suitcase, throwing random clothes in your bag. Most likely, the reality is that once you got to Ocean City and your, your week began to unfold, you would start to notice all the things you forgot to pack. Okay, I got underwear, but I uh, forgot my swimsuit, forgot my beach towel, forgot my sandals, heaven forbid you forgot your deodorant, guys. <laughs> Or technology. Oh no, I didn't bring any technology. I have to talk to my parents all week. For a successful vacation, you can't wing it. Our family, because of Kelly's parents' kindness, are going to Disney World in a few weeks. I feel like they've been planning for this for like six months. I really haven't done anything. It was like my wedding day. I really didn't do much. I just showed up and everything was ready, you know? But, but, but Kelly's mom has been planning for this thing for like six months. And, and, and so a successful vacation, you can't wing it. You gotta think through it. You gotta plan for it. You gotta prepare for it. What you do before the vacation in preparing or not preparing will affect your enjoyment of that vacation. And I, and I think the Christian life is similar in a lot of ways. We're called to think through things. We're called to prepare for things. We're called to look at God's Word about what it says about certain things and certain seasons before we're actually in that season so that when we go through it, we're not surprised by it, but we're prepared, seeking along the way to walk in God's wisdom for our good and God's glory. And that's one of my main encouragements tonight to you teens, not just about marriage, not just about relationships, but just life. Are you seeking God's wisdom? Am I seeking God's wisdom? Now, 
in regards to life beyond the teen years. Um, if you have your Bibles, turn to Proverbs. I just want to briefly show two passages that highlight the blessing and the necessity of seeking wisdom. So Proverbs 1 is the first. And then Proverbs 4 will be the second one. Proverbs 1.7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So it's saying that there is um, a blessing in coming under the Lord, seeking His wisdom, seeking His instruction, and yet a fool despises wisdom and instruction. Then in Proverbs 4... I'm going to read the first 12 verses. It says, Hear, O son, sons, a father's instruction, and be attentive that you may gain insight. For I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. When I was a son with my father, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, he taught me and said to me, Let your heart hold fast to my words. Keep my commandments and live. Get wisdom. Get insight. Do not forget and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. And we see wisdom used in this feminine sense here. Do not forsake her. So do not forsake wisdom and she will keep you. Love her and she will guard you. Wisdom will guard you. Wisdom will keep you. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. I love that. (laughs) The beginning of wisdom is get wisdom. And whatever you get, get insight. Prize her highly and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. Hear, my son, and accept my words, that the years of your life may be many. I have taught you the way of wisdom. I have led you in the paths of uprightness. And then we end here. When you walk in wisdom, your step will not be hampered. And if you run, you will not stumble. I love there in um, early on where it says, do not forsake her and she will keep you. Love her and she will guard you. And then one verse up, get wisdom, get insight, do not forget and do not turn away. I love how God's word knows our temptation. One is not, not to get wisdom, not to pursue it. Just to the, the belief that I, I know everything and I don't need to go anywhere to gain wisdom. And then once we get it, the two temptations are to either forget it or to turn away from it. To be given wisdom and then, eh, whatever. And, and just kind of walk my own path. No, don't forget it. Don't turn away from it. And, and Tina, a question for you tonight. Again, way more broad than relationships and marriage. Are you positioning yourself to receive wisdom from God's word? And from your parents. Are you as a teen positioning yourself and saying, you know what, I don't know everything. My feelings are not my authority, although they feel like it sometimes. God's word is wisdom. I need wisdom. My parents, they're not perfect, but they are Godlier than me, they're further along than me. I mean, even if you had an unbelieving parent that just the experiences of life, there's at least something that they could offer. How much more Christian parents who have studied God's word longer? So are you positioning yourself to receive wisdom? Lots of examples come to my mind when thinking about this in the teen years. Culture says... And again, now we're going to start honing in a little bit on marriage. Culture says you don't have to worry about this stuff until you're older. But that's a lie. Think about how different that is from what God's Word says here. The culture says don't worry about adulthood. Don't worry about the future. Don't worry about you know where you're going to walk and where you're going to run. God says get wisdom now. Get it now. And, and teens, what God's Word teaches us and what I've seen with my own eyes is how you are moving towards that now or not moving towards that now will affect you in the very near future. You know, right now, tonight, how you view the purpose of your life. Why do you exist? 
how you view God, how you view His Word, how you view church, how you view the gifts God's given you, how you view your money, even if it's a little bit of money, how you view relationships, how you view college, all of that is affecting you now, obviously, but it will continue to affect you in the very near future. What I've learned, in, in, in again, looking at God's Word and just kind of walking with teens now for nine years at this church, is... If you're 14, 15, 16, your post-high school self is being affected by what you believe and what you're giving your life to right now. So the temptation for a 14, 15, 16-year-old is to say, well, 20, 21, 22, that is light years away. And what I'm saying to you tonight is get wisdom, get insight. What you're sowing to now will will continue to bear fruit in that 18, 19, 20. As you think about life after high school, which either you're not at all or you are a lot, somewhere in that spectrum, if when you think about life after high school, if your thoughts, if you would be honest with yourself, they're consumed with self. They're consumed with all you're going to get. Man, to be away from my parents, to be, you know, kind of in charge of my decision making fully, you know, what I'm going to do, how I'm going to spend my time, how I'm going to spend my money, and just it, all of that being about you, when it comes time to make the choice of college, when it comes time to make choice about career paths, it would be foolish to think that it won't just be about you. If you've been sowing you, 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 your kingdom, your kingdom, your kingdom, when you turn 18, 19, 20, it'll just be all about your kingdom. On the flip side, if you by the grace of God have sought wisdom and are seeking to fix your eyes on Christ, His gospel, His kingdom, when it comes time to think about that next season, you're going to make decisions that are wise and bring glory to God. So, please hear me. There's grace, right? God does radical things all the time, but... We also don't want to discount God's word that what we sow to is what we'll reap. We want to hold both of those in tension. God is a radical, redeeming God that can turn people who are going one direction in a completely opposite direction. And yet, at the same time, we have to recognize that our decisions and what we give our minds to does affect us. And so that's just one of the things we need to think through is when it comes to relationships, when it comes to marriage, the same truth applies. What are you giving your mind to now with that? What, what are you thinking about when it comes to marriage? What are you thinking about when it comes to relationships now? The, what you're thinking or not thinking now will affect you as you move into that season. Now, I don't, I don't know where you guys are tonight. Some of you might have come here... Um, feet dug in saying, what do I have to do with a message on marriage? Maybe some of you rarely think about it. It's a long way away in your mind. You know, why would would Mr. Ross want to talk about marriage? Or you're you're thinking about it a lot. Wherever you are on that spectrum, what we want to do on this topic and every other when it comes to preparing. So, okay, Mr. Ross, I hear you. You know, what I give my mind to, what I'm thinking about, who I am now is going to affect me when I'm 18, 19, 20. You know, what do I do? We go to God, right? We, we, we say, God, help me through your word, through my parents, through the church. Help me to have a God-honoring, biblically wise view of fill in the blank. That's the thing about watching your, your, your life and doctrine, or as, as, you know, as, as um, Paul talks about, and Peter talks about as well, that, that um, examining whether you're in the faith, there really should be a, you taking your thoughts captive and saying, what do I think about blank? You know, as teens, as, ah, I, don't, I don't want to talk about this stuff. I don't want to think about this stuff. Maybe if my parents bring it up, I will, or maybe I'll get defensive. But just, no, are you as teens being offensive when it comes to this? Okay, what, what am I giving my life to? When I think about my future, when I think about relationships, when I think about marriage, when I think about, again, whatever, is there a sense of, is my view, are my beliefs, am I, what I'm pointing myself to, is it God honoring? Is it God defined? Or is it honestly just kind of, I've just taken what the culture tells me, or what my friends tell me, or just what I think? And so we want to think tonight when it comes to relationship about what does God say about this? 
What, what, how does God want to give us wisdom on this? I, I worked at a camp between my sophomore and junior year of college. And I would take these junior high and high school students through these uh, really amazing caves in uh, Western PA, so kind of east of Pittsburgh. And, and there was some intense uh, maneuvering at times to get through the cave. In, in retrospect, at the time, I was 20, and I thought, you know, I got this. I can take a bunch of teens with me through this cave. I think about it now, like, I would not entrust these, that to, to some teen, to Madeline, to, to circumvent through that. It, they were intense. They were some really... Um, dangerous aspects from point A to point B, but but they let me do it. And and, uh, I had done it multiple times. And so I would, every so often, stop. As we were going through the caves, I would stop, kind of let everybody catch up. We'd all stay pretty close, but I would kind of let everybody catch up. Or if it it opened up before a more dangerous spot, I'd have them all come around me so they could hear me and they could ask any questions. But I, I would say to them, okay, this is what is coming up next. So there was one part... Uh, where you basically had to do like an army crawl for about 40 yards. I mean, the, the, oh, I mean I, again, only because I had done it a couple times, I could keep doing it. But there was a part where for about 40 yards, the, 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 the ceiling of the cave was about there. And, and so you, they, had to, they had to army crawl all the way through that. And so I would say to them, okay, these are pretty tight quarters. Don't, don't try to lift your head up or you're going to knock yourself out, right? Just army crawl, keep going. And then I would tell them, okay, it's about 40 yards. It, it feels like you're never coming out the other side, but you will. Just keep going. There was one part where uh, it just dropped off. I mean, just it was a cavern on the left-hand side. There was about a five, six-foot ledge. And I would say to them, okay, this, this ledge is coming off. It's dropping off on the left-hand side. Don't go left up here. Stay tight to the wall, and we'll kind of work our way around. So I would prepare them, and because the guys knew there was real potential for danger, and because they knew I had gone from point A to point B in the cave before, they were very attentive in listening. I didn't have to get their attention. I didn't have to tell them, guys, calm down, calm down. I I have something important to say. When I huddled up, there was, I mean, you could hear a pin drop. Because they wanted to get out on that other side. And, and honestly, I mean, that's kind of the picture I had for us tonight. Just us spending time being led by God and how you can prepare for the next season. I know for some of you, dating and marriage is years away. Um, but, and, and I don't want to paint the picture that marriage is somehow like the cave. Except that, yeah. <laughs> except that it is dangerous, isn't it? It's dangerous, teens. It's glorious. It's beautiful. We're going to talk in a minute about the wonderful gift it is. But there's danger. Because I'm a sinner. And people are sinners. It's dangerous because if I don't listen to God's wisdom, and I just do whatever I want, if I let feelings drive me and not God's word, if I I let... The culture drive me and not what God says. It can be very dangerous. It can shipwreck your faith. And so marriage is a wonderful gift. I want you to be, uh, to have a great anticipation if God would give you the gift of marriage. I want you to know that, 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 um, I love being married. I hope you, when you see me and Kelly or you hear me talk about Kelly, that there is no doubt in your mind that, that I'm so grateful for her. But where you sit right now as people who are kind of in the midst of the journey, and I'm in the midst of the journey as far as marriage, but I'm not in the midst of who is God calling me to marry or if I'm called to marriage. God has given me Kelly's for as long as as he wills. So I want to prepare you and encourage you with that. So uh, three points. The first point, and this is the longest one, but this was as tight as I could get it, so I'll repeat it. Marriage is a gift to us. Marriage is a gift to us in that it builds us up in Christ as we glorify God by being a picture of Christ in His church. Marriage is a gift to us in that it builds us up in Christ as we glorify God by being a picture of Christ and His church. Marriage is a gift to us in that it builds us up in Christ as we glorify God by being a picture of Christ and His church. You guys need that repeated one more time? Marriage is a gift to us 
and that it builds us up in Christ as we glorify God by being a picture of Christ and his church. So teens, we must start by asking the overall question, what is the purpose of marriage? We've got to start with like that really big question. I think that many youth pastors before me have gotten tripped up because they, get, they start thinking about the details before they, they look at the vista. Uh, you know, and, and we could talk a little bit about that later in the question and answer time if you guys have any questions. There, there will be some details I do get into, but we can't start with the small stuff. We can't start with the, the small questions and miss the greater question of why does God even call men and women into the covenant of marriage? Why, why did God even create marriage? I'm not saying the other questions don't matter, but it's like shooting a gun. If you're aimed in completely the wrong direction from the target, nothing really else matters until you get that fixed, right? If, if there was a target on the back wall, and we cleared everybody out first, and you gave me a gun, if I'm pointing this direction, you shouldn't be talking to me about the bullets, right? You shouldn't be talking to me about if the safety's on or off. or whatever. Mr. Rush, you're in the wrong direction altogether. And, and I feel like that's how we can, we can get tripped up sometimes on this issue of we're talking about all this small stuff, again, which is not unimportant, it's just not the most important thing. You can have a lot right with relationships and, and marriage stuff, but if you're not pointed at the target, you're way off. So what's the purpose of marriage? Why did God bring your parents together? And why is he calling some of you, many of you, to marriage one day? And I answer that in the long first point, right? The, the purpose of marriage is to, to build us up, to help us in our relationship with Christ. But even above that is God's glory. We, God gave us marriage to be a picture of Christ in the church. If you have your Bible, turn to Ephesians 5. A lot of passages we could pick, but Ephesians 5, one of the most clear. Ephesians 5, in, beginning in verse 22, it says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the words, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle, in any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are the members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband." A husband and a wife are to be a visible picture to those around them of Christ and the church. The wife is to love, to serve, to be a blessing to her husband. And the husband is to love and care for and provide for and be a blessing to his wife. The roles are different, but the motivations are the same, right? The, the, the roles are different. A husband is not a wife, a wife is not a husband, and yet the motivation are the same. Christ is clearly the head of the church. The church isn't Christ, 
Christ is in the church, but even there we see the 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 way they move towards other each other is so similar. They're, they both move towards the other with the good of the other in view, ultimately for the glory of God. And so a husband loves his wife, and a wife loves her husband for the glory of God. Relationships and marriage are about the good of the other, even if it means very real sacrifice to the glory of God. And teens, it's important for us to start there because the world has completely distorted what marriage is. Completely distorted what relationships are. And you cannot have both. You are either going to choose God's version of what marriage is to be about or you're going to choose the world's. And... and You don't have to be a rocket scientist to to realize that choosing the culture's version of relationships and marriage is not a path you want to go down. And so one, you have to get wisdom. Do I have a biblical understanding of marriage? And will I, by God's grace, not forget it and not turn from it like we see in Proverbs 4? The culture obviously never talks about marriage being a God-given institution. Marriage is a God-given institution. It's not something that we can touch and change, right? God says, this is what marriage is. This is what it is. And and we have no license to get in there and start tinkering with it. And saying, well, actually, I think it would be better if... No, God created it. And what God creates is good. And so the culture gets in there and tells people that marriage is whatever they want it to be, right? I mean, I hope that you, you've seen this at least a little bit in your lives. That, that you see that, 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 you know, humanity gets in there and says, okay, God, you took it this far, but we'll take it the rest of the way. And, and so actually, you, you can do whatever you want to do. It's, it's really, instead of Ephesians 5, where it's about God's glory and the good of the other person, it becomes all about you. And your temporary happiness. If it makes you happy to get married, get married. If it doesn't, don't. If you're married and you're not happy, get divorced. Try it with someone else. If, you know, in, in our broken culture, relationships have often nothing to do with God and little to do with the other person. And this is rapidly changing, even from when me and Kelly got married to when the whites and Cerritos got married. So I'm not saying it's drastically different, but it's a lot different to where, I mean, you know, you don't mind me sharing, Josh, just like pushback from people of, why'd you get married, man? Why, why tie yourself down like that? You know, just, just, just live with her. You know, just, just stay in that relationship, but don't, don't, you know, making promises, tying bank accounts together, living life together. Why are you doing that? In, in their mind, it was that Josh somehow had an option. Or that Jason somehow had an option. Well, you know, I'll treat my wife or treat this girl this way if I want to, or treat another way if I want to. And God's saying, no, that's not the way this is. Josh doesn't have the option to, to live with her but not marry her. We're called to to protect you, ladies, often from ourselves. And so we have to realize that when the culture is trying to manipulate marriage and manipulate relationships, that that's going to affect us because it's not like the culture is the problem and I'm not, right? Like, my flesh wants to go along with the culture. My flesh starts to lean into the culture. You know, they got some good points there. And so we, again, have to get wisdom. Teens, you have to constantly, in this culture, be saying, what does God's Word say? And if it goes against the culture, i got to go with God's Word, not the culture. And those, those kind of conversations don't play out only in church, right? That there will be, as you go through your life, moments where people are opposing God, and, and you might not know they're opposing God. So Proverbs 4 tells us to get wisdom. Ephesians 5 is wisdom. And I'm not going to tell you tonight what is the right age for you to start dating. I'm not going to sit up here tonight and say, well, you should use the word courtship, but not dating. I'm I'm not going to do that. What I am going to do, what I am going to plead for, is that, that you all have a biblically informed view of relationships, a biblically informed view of marriage, and not a view informed more by the culture. 
Like I said at the beginning, there are there's kind of a spectrum of how we can do this, but however, parents, you lead your teams through this, can you say, this is affirmed by God's word? I'm, I'm getting my plane here of caring for my child based on what God's word says. Teens, again, be proactive in this. When it comes to relationships, when it comes to marriage, are, are you being guided by God? Or are you being guided by your own feelings or being guided by the culture? Like I said before, marriage is a beautiful gift from God. God has has given it to us as a blessing. It it, it glorifies Him. It's a picture of Christ in the church. And yet it's a blessing to us. You know, I've, I've said to our teens, I want you in the teen years, to look up ahead and and be excited if God would have the the gift of marriage for you. If God puts that on your heart, that's a wonderful blessing. And yet, are you seeking God as you think through it? Are you asking God to guide you? It's kind of like the illustration of preparing to drive. I think there's like two boys who have grown up in Crossfire that I've let them drive me places. Nathaniel Schaefer... And Clay Brenner. I think maybe Ethan one time, right? Why? Why am I hesitant to get in the car with these guys? Because I knew them at 10 and 11 and 12 years old. (laughs) And now you want to drive me places? You're like, I got four kids and a wife. I'd like to live. Thank you very much, right? (laughs) And so there's two type of, at least guys, 16-year-olds, when it comes to driving. There's the, give me the keys now. I got this. I've been watching my mom and dad for 16 years. No questions asked here. I can jump in and let's go. And then there's the the teen who's saying, you know what? Um, could you show me how to do this? Could you help me? Like, how? Where's the turn signal? And and where's the lights? And okay, okay, if it's a stick shift, okay, there's the clutch and stuff. You know, like there, there's a. Uh, I don't want you to be fear based in driving a car. But when someone says, "Hey, I might not know exactly what I'm doing here," it builds a little more confidence into me, opposed to the guy of like, "I got this." And, and I think again, there's something in marriage there. If you think about relationships, you think about marriage, it, there should be a little bit of a check there of, whoo. This is serious stuff. Who I spend the rest of my life with and and who I give my heart to. I don't want to be flippant about that. I don't want to rush into something that that I could do in a way that's unwise. And so just, don't even be fear-based, but I want there to be a a wisdom of, man, I, I need God. I need God. Because this is significant. You know, one of the things over the years is you know, more guys than, than girls. You know, one of the things guys over the years in Crossfire who have you know gotten lunches with over the years, I've just asked that question: How's it going with girls? You know, how, how is that dynamic? Thinking about relationships, thinking about marriage, and you know, as the guys get comfortable with me over the years, share. Yeah, I like this girl, or I, you know, I feel like drawn to this girl. Yeah, I want you guys to know, it's not like I'm like, all right, call your parents. This lunch is over. You like a girl in our church? End it, you know. Excommunication process starting now. I say, praise God. Tell me. You know, they don't don't always tell me who it is, but just, you know, what do you like about her? What, What draws your heart to her? Is it biblical qualities? Is it godliness? Is it the way she cares for others? Is it the way she worships the Lord? Like, is it good, godly attributes? If it is, yeah, you you might need to hold that in check and not go up to her on Sunday and say, "I love you. Will you marry me?" You know, like, little maybe a little too soon for that. But you know, when a guy is drawn to godly women, godly young girls, praise God for that. You know, for you ladies, if there are guys uh, in the church that, that you feel your heart drawn to them, or you know, outside of our church, there are Christian guys, and, and you feel your heart drawn to them, yeah, you know, maybe submit that to the Lord and His timing, and you know, all those qualifiers. But but if you're you know drawn to godly guys, I'm glad for that. On the other hand, if it if it's more worldly categories, if it's she's cute, okay. That's something. Can we build off that, right? You know, like, 
Yeah, or it could be other things, you know, more significant. That you know, no, I don't know if that'd be why you'd want to be with them. But again, it's not wrong. I, I, my concern would be if we don't talk about this, it becomes don't date, don't date, don't date, and then at twenty three, why aren't you married? Right? Like, no, let's let's help you to have biblical categories. To you know, even that question, I, mean, I kind of just assume some stuff there. You know, do you even in your mind, okay, what type of guy would God want my heart to go to? Maybe you don't even know that question tonight. Or, you know, for, for you guys, like what, what kind of ladies would God want your heart to be drawn to? Maybe that's even where you start. Okay, well, yeah, what would be those qualities? What, what should I be looking for? Not in too narrow of a way like I might have done. I had a list. And it was the most narrow, now in retrospect, ridiculous list of all time. And Mrs. Ross is like two of the 30 things. I mean, God just must have laughed at my really garbage list. So my list was the wrong type of list. Your, your list, may your list be a get wisdom type of list. Not, she should be a Browns fan. Okay, don't, don't worry about them being a Browns fan or an Eagles fan, right? Like, it's a bonus if it happens. Not a, not a necessary big time list quality. And so just, Thinking about that, I want you to feel that. You know, I don't want to speak for your parents, so that's one of my tightrope walks tonight. I don't want to leave for your parents. Your parents are your authority. But I would suggest to you to, to share them, share with them, hey, you know, can, can we have a conversation about these things? So, do we have a God glorifying view of relationships? Or do we have a worldly view of relationships? Is it is it a God driven or is it a kind of a feelings driven? Because the feelings driven it, it, it is a train wreck, either about to happen or down the road will happen. Apart from the grace of God. All right, one last comment, and then we'll move on to two and three, which are much shorter. I'll just say it. Second Corinthians six fourteen. Write down Second Corinthians six fourteen. Second Corinthians six fourteen says, "Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers." Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Second Corinthians six fourteen. The context there is not only marriage. It's not only about relationships, but that is certainly. Uh, under that umbrella, teens. I want you all to look at me. I love you with all my heart. I love you. I am so grateful for every one of you. I would encourage you to make 2 Corinthians 6.14 a conviction that you would never be in a relationship or marry an unbeliever. Please, I am... As much as I can beg you, begging you for that to be a conviction now. And I know what you're thinking, Mr. Ross, of course. But here's what I've sadly seen from experience. If that's not a conviction, if that's not on the root level, when you start to give your heart to an unbeliever, you can't get it back very easily. I won't say their name. I doubt you would know them. But there was an individual who... Just slowly started giving her heart to an unbeliever. And she knew he was an unbeliever. He, he talked about being an atheist. He talked about doing pagan witchcraft stuff. I mean, this was like, couldn't have been more clear. You, you would think, of course she wouldn't, you know, just be in a relationship with this guy. You know, just, she wouldn't give marriage a second thought. And yet, when you start, and this isn't just for girls, for guys as well, when you start to give your heart over to someone, you start to have those feelings for that individual, it is very hard to start pulling it back. So that relationship continued, and they got engaged. And she asked for me to do the wedding. You know, so I kind of heard rumors that she wanted me to do the wedding, and I was like, oh, I hope she doesn't ask, because that's going to be a hard conversation. I don't want to have hard conversations as a pastor. It's like not my, it's not my joy to kind of say, no, I can't do this, and it's because of the Word of God. I, I must stand on the Word of God, because I'm going to have to give an account, but there, there's no joy in that, because I, I knew how that would affect her. So I'm upstairs on a phone call with her. I mean, it was a couple hours long, ladies. 
And again, this was somebody who, like you, like when you, she was your age, she could have been in here and nodding her head, of course not, of course not, Mr. Ross. And yet, her heart was given over to him. And so I'm saying to her, as lovingly as I can, think about this. On those really hard days, which teens, you have hard days now, but there's hard days coming. Just, you know, just, and I don't mean like the worst of trials, just hard days. There's times when, Mrs. Ross, I come home and how was it? It was a tough one, right? We, we have hard days. And I was saying to her, on those hard days, her, if he became her husband, would not give her the gospel. He wouldn't wash her with the word like Ephesians 5 says. He, he wouldn't remind her of God's love. He wouldn't remind her of what Jesus did. He wouldn't remind her that God is sovereign and good and he's working all this for good. I don't know what he'd say, but he wouldn't say that. He wouldn't give her the word. He wouldn't give her God. She needs God on those hard days. And he wouldn't give her God because he's not a Christian. And I said, what if you have kids? What if you have children? He's never going to want to share the gospel with them against, unless God saves him. And, and that would be wonderful. I'm praying for that God, that God would save them. But the word does not say, oh, get into a relationship with an unbeliever and, and then you can save them as they go. It does say, because this was happening, women were getting saved and, and the men weren't. And, and Paul was saying, stay in those relationships that by your example, he might be saved. But that's not a, that's not a before the marriage. That's if you got saved in the marriage. Here he's saying, don't enter in. And so I was sharing with that young girl. Think about being a mom. It is hard to be a mom. You, you ladies see how hard it is to be a mom by looking at your moms, right? They need the gospel. They need to be encouraged that do not grow weary in doing good. That's in the Bible because we grow weary. And that man will not share the gospel with her. He won't come home and say to her children, to his children, there's only one way is through Jesus. And so this story just gets more and more sad because I share all that with her. And a couple months go by and, and she said, you know what, I, I can't marry that guy. And she breaks it off. And, and she was in our house and she was saying, thank you for being faithful to share. Thank you for helping me see the importance of this. Thank you for reminding me that to wait on the Lord is worth it. You know, I, I, I might need to wait years before I, I get married, but man, if it's to a godly man, it's worth the wait. And I remember thinking, thank you, Jesus. D didn't think it was going to turn out way, turn out that way, but oh, thank you for that conversation. And ladies, four months later, she lost that conviction. She couldn't hold her nerve because those feelings were so strong. And she entered back into that relationship. And they're engaged again. And I pray for them. This isn't the end of their story. I'm not saying that all is lost. But that man's not helping her to grow closer to Jesus. But that man's not helping her to love God's word more. That man's not helping her to prize the gospel. Those are the type of men God wants for you, ladies. He wants you to trust him, trust his timing, and to, to wait for a man and to be pursued by a man where you could say, I will grow in my godliness in this relationship, not grow in my worldliness. I mean, that's just, that was something me and Kelly were talking about when we, when we were dating. Just, do we feel like we're, we can grow closer to Jesus together or, or closer to just one another and closer to the world? What, what does this relationship do? Does it build us up in Christ? Or honestly, does it just make us consume with self? And guys, you know that even though that story was of, of a young woman, easily can be turned the other way, right? For a guy to give his heart to a young woman who is not following Jesus, and CB has said this over the years, and he's so right. May it not just be, well, he, he wasn't witchcraft, he wasn't pagan, so it's okay. He goes to church. That's enough. He, every so often he talks about the Bible. That's enough. May we trust God that it would be men and women, not who are perfect because there are no perfect men and women, but, but people where, as CB said over the years, you don't, you don't have to strain with a gnat's eye. I think he's a Christian. I, I think she's a Christian. There, there's a sense just of they love Jesus. That guy loves Jesus. That guy loves the gospel. That guy loves the church. Emily England and Kevin Steffen getting married on Saturday. No doubt in my mind that Kevin doesn't love Jesus very much. 
no doubt in my mind. I think he feels inferior to Emily in some ways because Emily's grown up in the church and he hasn't, but he goes after the word. He's constantly asking me theological questions. He's constantly wanting to get in there and, and talk to me about what about this and what about this and what about this, not to refute the truth, but to grow in it. I love that. You know, for us as parents, if a guy came to our door that, you know what, he's never going to make a ton of money, isn't the most impressive in our culture, but he loves Jesus, and he says, I can provide for your daughter, I want to love your daughter, I want to wash her with the Word, I want to help her grow, what would we say? Would we say, yeah, man, get in here, I've been praying for you for years. And, and I know I know the right answer in my heart, but am I, am I preparing myself for that, right? Because I'm thinking, man, it's going to be tight at the end of the month. I don't want it tight at the end of the month for Madeline or for Catherine or for Selah. I want her to marry a really rich Christian. Can we do that, God? Can we marry a rich Christian? But that might not be God's will, and am I prepared for that? And does that man know that he's got my highest respect because he loves Jesus? And on the other hand, dads, if, he, if, if, if that man or that woman, based on the situation, doesn't love Jesus, are we stopping it? You know, that, that giving her hand in marriage, that's become just a formality in the culture. That, that shouldn't be a formality to us dads. That I am called to, to help my daughters love them, protect them, care for them. I want them to have a relationship with Christ. It's not, you know, it's not relationship with Jesus through dad, but there's a sense of I'm called to protect them. Even the father language there of the husband, it says, you know, for the, for the, for the, for the, for the husband there should leave father and mother. And so just, are we as dads playing our part? Are we leading in that? Are we, are we playing the role God has given us? Now, very briefly here, I just want to hit them They're very quick too. Singleness is a gift from God to us as well. So tonight obviously is, is focused on, on marriage, but, but singleness is a gift from God to us as well. Singleness is a gift from God to us as well. 1 Corinthians 7. What 1 Corinthians 7 talks about, teens, is that singleness is a gift and that you have a freedom to serve Christ and the church in a way you won't be able to as a husband or wife. So marriage is a gift. Wonderful. Blessing. Helps you grow in Jesus. Is a picture of the gospel. And yet singleness is a gift as well. And, and, and I'd almost want you older teens to think of yourself in that type of way now. So here, here's what I was thinking. If you if you never think about marriage, I think you're missing out. If you're always thinking about marriage and relationships, I think you're missing out on this. And, and here's why I say that. If you're married one day, there will be a lot of things you're not able to do. So this morning my day started at 7 in the morning. And at 5.30, I work straight to 5.30, as probably a lot of your dads work from 7 to 5.30. At 5.30, I, I could have kept working on this. I could have spent more time in prayer. There was other things I need to do this week because of CB and John being gone. And, and Kelly's asking me, can I go home? Now, it's my joy to go home. It's my joy to spend a few minutes with them before I bounce back here. But if I'm single... I have a freedom that there's no wife pulling me back home. There's no kids needing my care. I'm able to serve Christ in a broader way. Becky Benedict is a single woman in our church, and I said to her last week, she has advanced the gospel in ways I will never. She has gone around the world with global disciples, helping uh, helping pastors, helping uh, lay leaders, helping people all over the world proclaim Christ. She, she is able to go all over the world whenever she's called because there's no husband back at home needing her help. There's no children needing her care. She's able to go all over the place. And for teens, that's you now. You have responsibilities. I'm not saying you're just kind of you know, twiddling your thumbs and... You know, you got nothing else to do. You're, you're busy, but you're not married. You don't have kids. And, and God's word would say that gives you a freedom. So if, if you're never thinking about marriage, I think you're missing out because many of you will one day be married. And so this is a unique season. This is a season for you to be able to serve the church and serve Christ in unique ways. On the flip side, if you're always thinking about marriage, I gotta be married, I gotta be married, I can't wait till I'm married, you're missing out because You'll be married one day. 
And you won't be able to serve like you can right now. Teens, I mean, I hope even as we've been talking as a church lately, we need you. We need more help. We, we need people to do stuff. And, and not just set up and tear down and children's ministry. That We need that stuff. We just need people to care for one another. To pray for one another. To encourage one another. And so I think if you have a single mind, singleness as a gift mindset, you'll be thinking, Christ right now. Not, eh, singleness is in your 20s. You're single right now. How can you use that capital for the glory of God? How can you use that capital to serve others? And then my last point, trust in God. Trust in God. Trust God's timing for your life. Trust God's story for you. As I've shared before, I was fearful I was going to miss it. I believe God was good. I believed He was in control in some way, in some level. But you know what my fear was? My fear was that God was going to give me a wife. He was going to give me what became Kelly, obviously, and that he would give her to me, like he'd put her into my my life, but like I had to say hi to her that day. And and what if she passed by me in class or passed by me in the mall and I didn't say hi and all of my future was different because hey, God gave, sent me a wife, but but I miss I missed it. I I blew it. That's kind of silly, but I, I think we can sometimes do that to where. I'm gonna mess it up. I'm 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 gonna I'm gonna you know blow up God's plans. No, you're not. God is sovereign. God is good. You you don't have to fear the future. You don't have to fear that you know. Well, what if it's this season and not this season? Whatever it is, whether God gives you singleness for your whole life, or gives you an extended season of singleness, or brings your your husband or wife at an earlier age, whatever it is, God's plans are best. We can trust Him. We can trust His timing is best. So what does that look like for you? If you do fear, I mean, again, some of you might never be thinking about these things, but but if you tend to be a person who's constantly thinking about them, what does it look like to submit it to God? And say, God, you've got this. You're not going to mess it up. I just, I, I constantly think to myself, God's never twilling his thumbs, looking over kind of the wall of heaven and saying, I hope this goes well. You know, like, and he never does that. God's plans always are perfect. God knew exactly the day he was going to have me meet Kelly for the first time. He knew it. And yet I was just fearful, 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 fearful. And then of course the one summer where I'm like, I'm not dating anybody. I'm horrible at this. This summer is about me and you, God, that he would just be like, all right, this is the summer that you're going to meet Kelly. And I remember saying, oh, that can't be my wife because this summer is all about me and God, so that won't be her. And and so I just got to know her as my friend. It was just God like helping me not to be dumb, you know, and so I was just enjoying her as a friend. And, and, and yet, look at that. God had his timing being perfect once again. So trust God in his timing. Trust God in your identity. Trust God in your identity. Your identity is not first single or married. Your identity is in Christ. Your identity is not first in being single or married. It's, it's in Christ. So trust God in your identity. You're, you're not more valuable as a husband or wife. You're, you're not more valuable as a person in a relationship. Um, when I was teaching at Antietam, there was, you know, a, a lot of people dating, I think, far too early. And if you look at Ephesians 5, again, I'm not going to tell you when to date, but Ephesians 5 says the, the guy should be, uh, be in a walk with Christ. He should be able to wash the woman with the word, which means he loves the word and is able to share the word. He's, you know, able to provide for, for the woman. So again, I'm not giving you the date, but I'm telling you there's some categories here that, that a man should be able to do certain things before he's getting into a relationship, but there's no biblical category for relationships that are just kind of out there in a nebulous, not doing anything, not directed at anything. In God's word, relationships um, are always to be intended to go towards marriage. When I was teaching at Antietam, there'd be, you know, boys and girls in, in relationships for, for no other reason, again, except self and not others, not God's glory. And what I found so often is that the girls did it to gain value. 
They, they did it to gain uh, an identity because they didn't have one in Christ. They, they didn't have one in, in, in themselves. There wasn't this, I know who I am in God. And so they had to go to guys to gain something. And it was just so sad because no guy can ever give you what Christ can give you. Kelly is a wonderful blessing. She's not my savior. She's not my identity. I'm first and foremost in Christ. And so as you go through the teen years, your identity is in Christ. When you go through your 20-somethings, whether that's marriage or singleness, may your identity always be rooted in Christ. And I'll end with this. May we love one another in the best sense of the word. That's why I wanted to have Man School and Girls of Grace together. That we would love one another in the best sense of the word. And, and why I tie that to identity is if my identity is in Christ, you are my brothers and sisters. You all, teens, are brothers and sisters in Christ. And do you treat, treat each other accordingly? If it's that distorted version of this in, in the culture, it's you exist for what you can give me. You bring me value. You bring me identity. You bring me popularity. You bring me happiness. Whatever it is, you exist kind of for me. And so what can I get from you? When I was in high school, it was all about who who are people dating and so they can be more popular in other people's eyes. That's not the way it's to be, right? That that God-centered, Christ-exalting view of relationships and marriage... I want you all to think of each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. How do I help my brother? How do I help my sister? Sometimes that means encouraging them and praying for them. And, and sometimes, guys and girls, if I'm, you know, honestly, I'm kind of attracted to that girl, I'm attracted to that guy, and me talking to them, you know, I'm kind of subtly putting out there that I like them. Like, are you actually caring for them? Because if their parents are saying, no, we're... They're not going to date yet. By you drawing out their heart, you're, you're actually doing them a disservice. I, I realize that. So I just, when I got saved my, my freshman year of college, all, all of a sudden there were actually certain girls I didn't want to go towards. And it, it might have sounded like I was being cold when really it was just I didn't want them, I didn't, I didn't want to stumble them. I, I didn't want to be a bad influence in them. And, and just knowing my track record, I thought if, you know, if I go towards them, would I pursue them in a way where, like, again, not that I would start dating them or anything, but just kind of make it about me, make it about, you know, them, their, you know, how do I create in, in, in them a, a desire to want to talk to me more and talk about me more? I realize there are certain people like actually probably shouldn't move towards because it just kind of wasn't good. But for others, it is. It's good for you to interact with them. So my point there is, do you love one another? Is there a sense as you think about each other of, I want to see them doing well in Jesus. I want to see them, if God has marriage for them one day, for that to be a blessing. And I'll end with where we should always end. Our hope for all of this is Jesus. This is not, okay, if you get wisdom and, and you, you do this and you make your identity in Christ and, and, and you, you know, pursue this in the right way, you know, then everything will go fine. And if you blow it, there's no hope. Our hope is Jesus. Our hope is the fact that through His life, death, and resurrection, there's grace. Through the love of the Father sending Jesus, there's grace, there's hope. Nobody's story is going to be one of perfection apart from Christ. If I have the, the, the blessing, or if Mr. Reyes or Mr. Edder has the blessing of getting to do your premarital one day and doing your wedding ceremony one day, it's not you guys standing up and saying, here's the example, they did it perfectly, all glory goes to them. It, 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 we're all going to need God's grace. We're all going to need His help. We're all going to need to be reminded of God's Word and truth again and again. And God loves us. So if you look back and even inwardly, you feel like, man, I've already blown it, Mr. Ross. The way I think about these things, it can be idolatrous. And, I, you know, my categories have been off. Go to God and ask for help. In the years ahead, go to God and ask for His help. Ask for His grace. That, that, that story I told, that person, knows that couple, can right now go to God and receive care and love and grace. And God will give it. Let's pray.
Oh Lord, what um, what was of you in this time? Looking at your word, looking at truth, what was of you? I pray that these teens and parents would hold on to and be blessed by and, and would move forward in, Lord, as they think family to family, what it looks like to have a God-honoring, biblical-centered view of, of these things, Lord. What was not of you, I pray that we would forget, Lord. Lord, I pray for our teens that, that you would help them to seek wisdom and pursue wisdom and not forget it and not turn from it, Lord. We, we are, we are going upstream on this issue, Lord, as we live in the culture. Like the culture is just constantly going the opposite direction, Lord. And honestly, it's tempting to want to go that direction. It's tempting to be feelings driven, Lord, or to be people driven and to think, what are other people doing? Or just, what do I want to do? And Lord, we pray for grace. To, to, to be countercultural in the way we view relationship. Not, not to be different, not to look different, but for your glory, Lord. And Lord, I pray that, that our identity would be in you and not in the relationship we do or don't have. And that we would be centered on the gospel, Lord. That, that our hope for life is you. Our hope for these things is not doing it perfectly, but simply abiding in you and thanking you daily that your grace pours over us. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your wisdom, Lord. Thank you for your forgiving grace. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen.